When we met Cord, we knew we had that connection through his brother, whose name is Dallas. I'd love to hear that story, Cord. Cord told us the story of his name a few weeks ago, and I think it means he's a big gunslinger. I'd love to know what Dallas means, wouldn't you? So we struck that conversation up, and um, a couple weeks later, I said to Deanna, we were out driving around trying to get to know the area. We've only lived in this area since about September. And I said, I think we should drive over to Cord's house and just say hello, get to know he and Carmen. And I think I know where they live. I've got the address. And she's like, you know, it's it's seven o'clock. It's a Friday night. It's not good just to drop in. I said, no, I think that we can do this. We can do it. And we drove around and around and around. He lives in an apartment complex, a nice gated apartment complex. That's not bad. Heaven's a gated community too. He lives in a gated community. Across the street is a gated community. And GPS was taking me to that one. Its gate was locked. The one at Cords was broken. By now it's like 9.15. Deanna said, we got to go home. We can't do this to these people. We don't know them. What if you wake Carmen up and she comes to the doors uncertain what's going to happen? I said, we're going to do this. We finally found it. You know how guys are. Or this guy is. We're going to do it. I said, you wait here in the car. I'll go up and say hello. So I went up to that next floor, went to the apartment that I thought was theirs, knocked on the door. Nothing. Waited a moment or two, knocked again. Nothing. Crickets. Knocked on the door one more time. That was going to be my limit. A little harder that time, and you could hear some movement in the apartment. A light comes on. I thought, that's great. They're still up. Coming through the house, coming to the door. The door opens just a little bit, and I said, I'm sorry, but is this Cord Bear's home? She said, yes, bring him in and lay him on the couch. (laughs) Context is everything. Cord gave you a little bit of my context. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, that, that is better than building. Did you hear building? That's better than the ranger inside the bear who is hungry and warm. All right. Yes, so context really is everything. You got a little bit of context about uh, my life and my family, my wife. I think that when you read the Bible and when you study it, you have to understand that context is king. Context is king, it means everything. A lot of people just flip open their Bible, hit a verse, and that's their verse for the day. I get a little verse of the day. I got one the other day that said it had a list of begats, and they begat, and they begat, and they begat. And that was it. I could find no devotional purpose in it at all. Context is so important. But let me tell you the other side of that coin, and that is humility is queen. So what I share with you today simply comes from my study of the book of Exodus, a context that I bring from my life setting and background, a context that God has given us in that book, 
and it is with great humility that I bring it for your consideration today. So in the Moses Mosaic, we begin the plagues. Pretty exciting topic, right? And we're going to look at the first two plagues. Well, we're going to look at the first plague today, blood. And next week, we're going to look at the, the plague of frog. So let me introduce some characters to you. You'll see them right there. Yeah. So this story, in many ways, is really a continuation of the end of Genesis because there you have a revealer whose name is Joseph. He's also a dreamer. He has great dreams of his own, but he reveals to the Pharaoh uh, what his dreams meant, and that frames and shapes Bible history. You also have a relator, not a realtor, a relator, and that is Moses. Moses is the relator. He's the bridge. He's the relationship guy between God, Yahweh, and Aaron, and Pharaoh, and God's people. That's a large group to be responsible for, but that's his job, is to relate in a positive manner as much as he can. Now, we also find Moses from time to time being a debater. Who does he debate? Well, generally, he is debating God. Are you sure you want me to do this? I have to stretch out my hand. You're going to do what? I don't know if you've ever been a relator to people, but also a debater of God. I have to tell you, I don't even have to guess. I'm sure that I have. After all, I'm going to get to Cord's house tonight. Lord, I know I can do this. I'm going to, let me do it my way. Let me debate you while the opportunity for debate seems good. And then there is a reviler. There's a great enemy in this story. And you all know who that is. That's Pharaoh. We're in the book of Exodus, and I'm going to give you some uh, verses from beginning at chapter 4 and then 5 and 6 and 7, and then we'll finish up. But he is the reviler. He is seen as God. He wears a headdress that has a serpent on the top of it. Serpents are very important in these plagues because Aaron has a staff he throws down and a serpent appears. But the magicians have rods that they throw down that turn into serpents as well until the next chapter when Aaron throws it down again and his swallows all the serpents of the magicians. And then there is a redeemer. There is always a redeemer. You're saying, not for my life, John, you just don't know me. There can't be someone or something that can redeem my life. In the pre-Easter buildup, I was talking to some guys that I have coffee with about every day at Starbucks on Dunlawton. One of them is 78, one of them is 72, and then the others just kind of come under that. And I was taking the little cards that Tacoma prepared for us to give to people to invite to church. Now, I've been talking to these guys since September, sitting by myself, minding my own business, when it wasn't God who tapped on my shoulder, but it was this guy who tapped on my shoulder and said, you want to come and sit with us? I did. And so all these months, I've been trying to get to the point where I could find a way to invite him to meet his redeemer at this place. 
there is always a redeemer. Now, sometimes we are the dreamer, the revealer. We have the opportunity to make the good news of God known. Sometimes we are a relator as we're in our small groups or as we're meeting people wherever we go. The other night, Deanna and I were having dinner at the Downwind Cafe, the little airport down there on Airport Road. Don't know if you know it in Port Orange. But the young lady who was serving us, when she came out about the third time, I got out that card to invite her to church. I said, we, we'd like to invite you to church for Easter Sunday. And she looked at the card and she said, that's where I go. That's where I go. That's great. We had the chance to build a relationship. Sometimes by what we do, we are the reviler. We've got to get to a redeemer. All right, let's take a look at that next slide. So preparing Moses for the Egyptians, that's the first four chapters of the book of Exodus. This is a little outline for you for your own study. Chapters 1 through 4, preparing Moses for the Egyptians. He's going to get to the Exodus, but before he does that, he has to go through an awful lot of Egyptians. Chapters 4 through 12, the domination of the people of God by the Egyptians. Chapters 13 through 18, the liberation of the people of God from the Egyptians. And then the final chapters, 19 through 40, are preparing God's people for revelation after they are done with the Egyptians. Because many of them think, as soon as I can get through this particular problem, I'm done. But that's not the theme, it's not the message, it's not the experience of God's people ever. We have to come through the trial. We have to get through the difficulty. But when we do, because of his grace and his power and his redemption, there are probably going to be more. And you're thinking, Lord, how much more can I stand? And Moses has thought the same thing. We've come through so much. How much more, Lord, is there going to be? Well, Moses struggled with potential disbelief. Disbelieving of others, disbelieving of God may have been his problem too. Not just the, the people, the children of the Hebrews, but may have been Moses' problem too, maybe yours. In Exodus 4, verses 8 through 9, then the Lord said, if they, who is the they? Well, Moses has been questioning, almost debating God. What if they don't believe? Meaning my fellow Hebrews, and in particular, the elders of the Hebrews. What if they don't believe that you have sent me to do this thing, that you're moving us. You know, exodus means exit, means departure. And Lord, it's a lot to risk moving these hundreds of thousands and millions of people and depart from what, have been, what has been our home for 400 years. What if they, the children of the Hebrews, do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe in the second. So he's giving two signs. And then Moses is going to say, but if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water. This is God speaking to Moses. Take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. This is like foreshadowing. And it's interesting to me when you read this, Moses has no response to this at all. He goes immediately into the next argument. It's like he's not listening to God. It's like he stacked up a series of arguments that he thinks are very good and he's going to unleash them on God one after the other. And he's missed the whole miracle here, the foreshadowing. 
take some water out of the Nile, pour it on the ground, and it's going to turn to blood. Now, here's an important concept for the Hebrews. They have known since the early chapters of Genesis that the life is in the blood. So this message is about their lives. They would not spill blood intentionally, but God is using this as some kind of sign for Moses. I wonder what the sign could be. We'll see it in just a few moments. So the next slide, I think, is Exodus 5. Afterward, yep, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. So Moses is hearing from God. Moses is telling Aaron. Aaron is speaking to Pharaoh. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And here is a big thing you ought to underline in your Bibles, your devices, your scrolls, whatever you have. Pharaoh speaks. And he says, who is the Lord? That's the big question first. Who is the Lord? For Moses and the the Hebrew slaves, they've got to answer that he is our redeemer. He is going to deliver us from the bondage of Egypt, from the, from the hand of Pharaoh. Because they have believed that promise for a long time. And then Pharaoh, so bright, he goes on. How could you make it worse? Who is the Lord? I have no idea who this Lord is. And it's a fair question because for him, they've got pantheism. They have uh, all kinds of gods. Gods in human form, gods in animal and human form, gods in animal form. Gods of the earth, like the Nile was a god. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? That's the second thing in this verse for you to consider. When you think about your relationship to God, you may know him, but who is this God that you should obey him? Obedience, the Bible says, is better than sacrifice. And let Israel go. Next slide. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. At least Pharaoh was honest. He told the truth about this one thing. He had no idea who the Lord was. It could have been all the gods that they worshipped added to one more. And it seems that because he did not know who the Lord was, he wasn't going to let Israel go. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. Well, then in Exodus 6, verse 9, Moses reported all this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him. He had the good news. The Redeemer was on his way, but they did not accept it. And here's why. Two reasons. One is because of their discouragement. And that word actually means, it's a terrible phrase, because of their sustained anguish. I don't know what your situation has been. You've come through illness after illness, surgery after surgery, loss after loss. How long has it been? For them, it was more than 400 years. And it was a sustained anguish that brought a spirit of discouragement upon them. 
Every day, Pharaoh could go down to the Nile and sing songs of praise to the God of the Nile, but you're not going to find the Hebrews doing that. They're struggling under this load of discouragement and harsh labor. And then Exodus 6.26, it was this Aaron and Moses, these two guys to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. Now you're going to see that word twice in these passages. That word, when you see it, divisions, it's literally army. What God already knows is that when the people of Israel come out of Egypt, they are coming out for war. And that's an important thing, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But when you sign up, To do battle for God, there's going to be a fight. The Apostle Peter would say later in the New Testament, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals which surround you. There's going to be a war. Exodus 7, verses 3 through 5. Say this, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And that's a place that you could stop and think about as well. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. There are nine times in this Exodus narrative where it says that God will harden Pharaoh's heart and nine times where it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Was God deliberately causing Pharaoh to do these things? Here's what I think a careful reading of the word can tell us. That word harden is like the word strengthen, solidify, make more certain. It's like concrete hardening. You pour it out, it's set up, but over time it gets very hard. I think God is simply allowing Pharaoh to be himself, to be his worst self, to be more like himself every single day. Have you ever said of one of your kids, you're so much like, and then you name a relative that you don't like? That's kind of like it was for Pharaoh. He was in it to win it for himself. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that is giving him the permission to be more like himself all the time. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, so God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. They were getting ready to make their exodus, their taking off. And the rest of that verse says, the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Now, they thought they were going for a physical war. They were going to attack somebody. Well, God takes them on a completely different route, taking them away from the Philistines where there clearly would have been war and where they clearly would have had their clocks cleaned. You're not ready for that kind of war yet. But the war that I am making you ready for is the war here. Don't let your heart become like Pharaoh's, hardened of its own accord. Let your heart be open to a Redeemer who loves you and has a much greater plan for your future than you could ever imagine. So now we'll bump back down to Exodus chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. The Lord says to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff, throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Now, some people wonder, especially when you get to the plagues, the blood, the frogs, 
the gnats, were those magic tricks that were being done or were they demonic forces? Now, when I was a kid, I tried to be a magician. My, my name was the Great John. And I did a few magic shows, including at my home church. We had a senior citizen carnival every year. And there'd be hundreds of senior citizens who came. And one of the stages that they could go to was the stage of the Great John. And I was so excited. It's the first and only time I ever did it. I came out on stage and I had a large deck of cards and I said, and I need a volunteer from the audience to choose a card. And I went up to this lady in a wheelchair and at the top of her voice, never met her in my life. No cards are the tools of the devil. So they weren't magic tricks. They're tools of the devil as well. They were doing sorcery. They were doing sleight of hand. But in every event, God topped them. And you have to wonder why when Pharaoh said when, when Moses struck the Nile and everything became blood, he called his magicians, his sorcerers in to say, hey, see if you guys can replicate that. Why did he do that? Why wouldn't he just say, hey, see if you can undo that? So sorcerers. Snakes on the ground. The interesting thing was when Pharaoh's men threw the sword on the, uh, the snakes on the ground, Aaron's snake ate them all up. It's a different word that was used in a prior chapter. This word for snake is like a monster. It was something that they had not seen, had not thought about, and it ate all the staffs of the magicians. It's simply signifying that God's power is so much greater. Don't mess with God. He's got... Reserves of power. He's got power you've never thought about. And then we get to the text that launches us into the first plague. Exodus seven fourteen through 25. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. Ever know somebody that had an unyielding heart? He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. He's going down to the Nile. Some say to sing praise to the Nile God. I think he's going down to take a bath. If you've ever been to the Nile, you know that all those things take place there. There'll be a group of people over here washing dishes, washing clothes, right on the bank of the river. I remember the day seeing small children play in the Nile, also using it as a toilet. I remember being on the Nile that night, riding on a fancy boat, taking a nighttime tour of the Nile. All those things happen right around there. Pharaoh in the morning goes down to the Nile. Confront him on the bank of the Nile. Take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord said, by this you will know that I am the Lord with the staff that is in my hand. I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink the water. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds, over the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt. 
even in vessels of wood or stone. Two or three things about that. Blood was not something that the Egyptians tolerated very well, not in their homes, not in their country, not anywhere. So it was a big affront to think that this was going to be blood. I actually think that it is what the Bible said, that it's blood. And it's going to be repulsive to the Pharaoh and repulsive to the people. And there's going to be so much of it. The fish are not going to be able to breathe. They're going to die. They're going to go belly up. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt. And look what it says, even in vessels of wood and stone. Significance of that? Egyptian gods were often made of wood, often made of stone, or often venerated on top of wooden things or on top of or inside of stone things. So the point that God is making to Moses is that the blood is going to be everywhere. The Egyptian gods are going to be covered in the blood of God just as your sins and mine are covered in the blood of Jesus. What gods? Well, Kunum, who is the guardian of the river source, the Nile source. Happy, H-A-P-I. He's the spirit god of the Nile. Osiris. For Osiris, that god, his life blood was the bloodstream of the Nile. So just in that one plague alone, God is taking a swing at a number of god and goddesses of the Egyptians, even in the vessels of wood and stone. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. Verse 22. But the Egyptian magicians did the same thing. Can you wonder why? Why would you do that? By their secret arts. I took a course in a doctoral program at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School on this very thing, on sorcery and evil and how evil manifests itself. And I'll tell you, I was changed after that. It's real. It's terrible. It's present. It was present in the Bible days and it is still present today. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses. He wasn't listening to God. He was listening to nobody but himself. He was full of his own pride and that was going to bring him down. Instead, he turned and went into his palace, did not even take this to heart. It's like just another thing. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the Nile. So that's the story of the first plague. It's a blood plague. It's covering everything. There's no life that's going to come out of the Nile. There are no fish. There's no fishing. There's no cooking. There's no washing of clothes. There's no children playing or bathing. Nothing is going to happen. That's the first plague. So what do we make of this? Let me give you four things. Number one... God is striking at the very heart of Egypt. He is striking at their idols. He's striking at their false gods. He is striking at the things that the Egyptians love and worship more than they love or worship anything else. So the first thing is resolve to know the Lord. So Moses comes into Egypt to this pantheon of God's And he speaks the truth of the Lord and no one is there to hear. 
It reminds me very much of Acts chapter 17, verse 16, when the Apostle Paul comes into Athens and he's at the Areopagus and he sees these statues to all these gods in the area where these people are meeting. And he says, I see that you have one statue addressed to the unknown God. And I come to make him known to you today. And so Moses came to Egypt to introduce the unknown God to Pharaoh and to Pharaoh's people, as Paul would do centuries later, and as we are called to do today. How are you doing making this God known? They were, they were very religious. That wasn't the issue. They did not know the God who was commanding them. So our problem, we are held captive in a foreign land. That land is called sin. They were held captive in a foreign land called Egypt. We tend to doubt this leads to rebellion and this leads to sin. And God wants change. God wants change. God's purpose is change. So when Cord spoke a few moments ago about change... God's got it in control. If things are changing, God can control it. Second thing, don't let discouragement steal your joy. This is one of the hardest things. Man, if you've been through surgery or you've had cancer or you have brokenness in your life, it's very hard for you to focus on a redeeming God who loves you. A friend of mine went through a very difficult experience a year ago and she stopped attending church. And she wrote on her Facebook page the other day, these words that I'm going to read to you. And I talked with her this morning. I asked if I could tell you about her story today. She's gone through a great season of discouragement, that anguish that I mentioned earlier. I attended church, she said, for the first time in over eight months today. The feelings overwhelmed me as I sat in that building and participated in worship. Tears ran down my face, and at times I was so emotional I couldn't even sing. I couldn't even sing the words, but I could feel God. He reminded me how much he loves me, and I remembered how much I love being in his presence, praising him. I'm not sure what happens next, if and when I'll be ready to try again, but for today, I was grateful for the chance to reconnect with my Lord. See, she's not focused on what others think or what others are doing or what others are compelling or what, even what change is going on. In this moment, she's focused on God and I think she's got a beautiful future coming her way. Don't let discouragement steal your joy. Number three, be prepared for war. When we submit to God, we are going to war. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to making it obedient to Christ. The Hebrew people were taken captive. 400 years they lived in bondage. God has come to set them free, to redeem them. Be prepared for war. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that surrounds you when you exercise your faith. And here's the final thing, the final pro tip. Jesus Christ is God's dynamic affirmative to every negative caused by evil. You see, the Bible tells us with God, all things are possible. 
They didn't think he was coming. It had been 400 years. They were enslaved. How could they get out? They sent Moses back. He killed one of us. All he has in his hand is a staff. He's 80 years old. And his brother's 83. And the children of Israel, once they get out of Egypt, they're going to continue to struggle. That's just the truth. And the rest of the Old Testament is about that struggle. Our opportunity is to say Jesus Christ is God's dynamic affirmative to everything that evil causes in this world. We are overcomers through him who loved us. Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What's going to be your decision? Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as Lord. Maybe you've not heard this story of the plagues and of the bondage or the way that God relieved them from it. He can relieve your bondage as well. In just a moment, there'll be some people up here. If you want to pray, you want to accept Christ, there'll be people there. Pray what your decision will be, and we'll pray now. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word, for its truth, its power, and might we live it. Whether there are frogs or lice or darkness or death or peril or sword, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, even Jesus. Amen.